0: Hello everyone and it's so nice to have you here at the Welcome to Music podcast for music arts and classroom educators in early childhood and primary elementary schools, music therapists, studio music teachers, parents and anyone who uses music with kids to support their well-being and development from 0 to 12 years. My name is Susie davies Splitter and I've been teaching music to all ages in early childhood, schools and universities over many years. With my husband Phil we run Welcome to Music where we create music resources, we have a membership community and present training and programs for kids and educators. Our goal is to help build confidence and creativity and enrich lives through the joy of music. I hope that this podcast can support and inspire you and maybe even make your job a little easier through sharing tips, chats, lesson plans, interviews and great quality music resources to use with your children. I use an inclusive, multimodal, multisensory and all-based approach to help make the learning stick. Please enjoy The Welcome to Music podcast and find us at welcometomusic.net. for joining our Welcome to Music podcast, episode number seven, where I'll be chatting with Christoph Morbach, who is an internationally recognized music educator, offshore work practitioner, and community singing leader. He divides his time as workshop facilitator and music and movement teacher between Germany and Australia. Christoph retired as a senior lecturer in music education from Waikato University, New Zealand and before that was lecturer in music education at the Australian Catholic University in Melbourne. In Germany, he provides vocal workshops for archipelago groups and teaches music and dance at the Youth Music Organisation in Berlin. Christoph is also an active board member of the International Offshore Work Forum Salzburg, the IOSFS. He also conducts workshops in Taiwan, Europe, Australia and New Zealand where he leads the 2025 North Island Singing Tour. Listen to the podcast or read the transcription in the blog to find out more. You're going to love this episode. So it's lovely to see you, Christoph. And you're in Taipei.
1: Yes. Thank you, Susie. Yes, it's lovely to see you too. I am in (laughs) Taipei and it's quite nice um, it's almost exactly halfway between frankfurt and melbourne um, so you know when i make that trip either way either from europe to australia or from australia to europe i usually stop here
0: very nice very very nice and you've just been in germany for quite <laughs> quite a while
1: Yes, Um, I spent time between about mid-April of this year and just very recently I arrived here in Taipei. So yeah, Um, you know, on a personal level, can I say my dream to spend always half a year in Europe and the other half in Australia and New Zealand. At the moment, that seems to be working. Let's see what happens in the future. But for the time being, I'm very happy to looking forward personally to visiting my daughter in Melbourne, also visiting friends in Melbourne, visiting yourself and others, (laughs) and being part of courses um, in New Zealand as well. You know, that's quite wonderful. It's a a lovely opportunity.
0: Well, Christoph, it's such a pleasure to be able to interview you because we've been friends for a long time. I'm trying to think, 30 years comes to mind. I don't know, it's been a long, long time, isn't it? And we met, of course, in Melbourne, but you've come from Germany. So let me start by asking you, just explain to to everyone, how did you get involved in music when you were a kid? And I know there was some kind of family connection, but if if you can explain it to me
1: look thank you Susie for asking that I won't spend too much time on that question on the personal question because I'm also keen to to answer many of your other questions but thank you for (laughs) that Um, thank you for that Uh, look it's, it's somewhere it's simple and it's probably replicated in many other families I come from a somewhat large family with five children both my parents played music although they had different professions my father played the piano quite profic- proficiently and in in a catholic kind of context where i grew up uh, every christmas time my father would play christmas carols on the piano and we all sang my mother sang a lot she was also into theater and she played the recorder early on and my parents also danced so that's where the wow. foundations yeah that's where the foundations were were and as I mentioned already, there was a religious context. I grew up in a Catholic family and already as a six year old, I was involved, involved in a children's early childhood music group that sang twice a week at somebody's place. And often the focus was to learn Latin or other Christian songs that could be presented during a church service on a Sunday. So I found myself as a six and seven year old, quite exposed in front of the altar of a Christian church, um, singing to the participants in the church, sometimes solo, sometimes together with others. Um, I guess, you know, very early on, I learned to express myself in such a way that other people could hear me
0: yes and at a very young age too yeah. and just to have that family influence is just so vital and so important which we can talk more about of course yes but wow you had such a huge family influence with your your mother your father and all those early childhood yeah activities that you were involved with yeah okay so what was it that got you to a point where you became so passionate about music i guess doing all of those things yes
1: oh absolutely i mean look early childhood these are formative years for every person for every child for you for our colleagues for everybody for me too but then comes a period of thirst if i can put it that way thirst in a way that a teenager a young teenager gets distracted in life by various other things for a boy it's also testosterone and other things <laughs> that take you that take you away from what your parents would like you to do but i was very fortunate i went to a high school as a teen young teenager where music was a large focus i had already started piano as a 9 year old flute as an 11 year old and that continued during high school times and very soon during high school, I learned about jazz. I learned about rock and roll. I mean, how can you not learn around, around uh, about rock and roll when you grow up with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles? Um, <laughs> so, you know, we tried to replicate that as 14, 15, 16 year olds in high school. And these were also formative events. We formed our own band. I was part of our own experimental rock band when I was 14, 15 and 16 years of age.
0: You know i had a very similar journey to you very similar so i didn't really have good uh, models at school uh, in terms of my teachers and in terms of teaching me music there was very little but i got involved with the kids in the neighborhood and we had our garage band and we used to rehearse also like you um all the rock music because it was such good Good music, as you say, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And we had some really good Australian artists like John Farnham. I remember in 1969 <laughs> listening to John Farnham, uh, on the radio and yeah. getting very excited when I was in grade six. So mm. that really makes a difference, doesn't it? Just being able to explore and, um, experiment with, with music. Uh, And particularly in an improvisational kind of setting, it really makes a difference, doesn't
1: it? Yes, and may I say there was also one other aspect you know particularly useful in those days when it comes to the instrumentation and the equipment in those days the 60s the equipment was accessible i mean we're talking about an electric guitar with six strings a bass guitar maybe a drum kit or as it was originally some kind of boxes that you found when you hadn't didn't have the money to buy a drum kit but what i'm trying to say the technology was achievable and accessible whereas nowadays the technology requires a lot of learning you know if you want to work these days as a DJ for example or with music in that realm you need to learn um, almost like a programmer you need to learn digital equipment and things like that that add wonderful uh, things to the realm of pop and rock music and jazz Uh, but in our days you know it was a little bit simpler
0: yes I haven't sort of thought of it like that. Mm. although there are simple programs you can use you know garage Mm. band and audacity yes you know there are simple programs that you can use it's a totally different world now isn't it yes absolutely (laughs) but i yeah i do agree we were just able to just pick up a guitar and play something easy maybe just starting with two or three chords and just jamming on that which was so much fun it was it was so good so we've had very similar journeys in that way
1: that's nice to hear yes. um, i mean I, it was shortly after high school in 1970 and 1971. i mean my god i'm showing my age as i talk about these years <laughs> but it was at that time that i was involved in a band um we cut our first long play record in germany this um, you know for our region it was quite successful actually and um, mm-hmm. so much so that in 2012 40 years after the event, I got a phone call in New Zealand uh, from somebody in Germany saying would you mind if we um, re-edit your recording from 1971 and put it on a CD and also re-edit it as a long play record and um, the the members who had survived um, all agreed. that we would do that so you know it was re-edited and republished in 2011
0: oh how wonderful see all these things i don't know about you christoph yes. it's so good
1: yes <laughs> oh yeah i mean it, it's it's true we've all lived a long life i mean i've oh, lived well, a particularly
0: <laughs> absolutely that's that's why yeah. i'm doing this podcast you see <laughs> lovely
1: that's great
0: I, yeah I, i'm really excited about it so All right, so we've heard about your kind of um, childhood, going into high school, getting involved in bands. So then, how just explain how you got into music education, music and movement education as a professional music educator?
1: Thank you for that question, too. So, I was a conscientious objector in the south of Germany, not going to the army in the early 1970s. And I had to do what we would call civil service. And I worked as a nurse, actually, in an institution where there were disabled children. And my job was to work with them every day to help feed them and dress them and, well, the elemental things that people need to do. And one day in this institution, I found a Poster stuck to the wall where it said, Music and Movement with the Disadvantaged and Disabled Child, a course by Professor Wilhelm Keller from the Orff Institute. And And I thought well that sounds intriguing I want to participate in that, so I did this weekend course Friday night Saturday Sunday course that um, you know, in a way, we do these kind of courses, these days, still for people who are interested in that field, so I attended that course and within hours. I was hooked on the idea that you could learn about rhythm, melody and harmony by playfully working in a circle with body percussion, with singing, with patterns, with sticks, with balloons and various other things. So within hours, I was hooked on that. So I went to that professor after the two days and where can I get more of this? Thank you. And he said, well, why don't you come to the Open Day at the Orph Institute in May, which I did and the rest you know I went on from there to actually do a course in the field of music and movement and improvisation because of my rock background improvisation was always my thing as a matter of fact our rock band had a le- strong leaning towards jazz and um, you know I was playing the flute in a jazz style in that rock band like jazz Rotal in a way um, and um, you know that's how it started
0: okay so Basically, your tertiary education was the ORF course.
1: Yes, I did and four years.
0: Yes, yeah. So that was four years. Yes. And now, do they have do they have that four year course now in German? Yes. They do. Yes. Because I know it, that they've got the one year English speaking. Well, it's nine months yes. English speaking course. Yes. Okay. The Welcome to Music Podcast is brought to you by the Welcome to Music Membership, where for a small monthly or reduced yearly fee, you can download all of the notes, music notation, ukulele chord charts and percussion arrangements for the podcasts, blogs, webinars and freebie Fridays. Have ongoing access to over 50 hours of music education and video recordings suitable for early childhood and the primary elementary school. Access over 50 hours of professional development certificates for courses, webinars and workshops. Access great discounts on events and products and access hundreds of musical resources to use in your classrooms. Join us at welcome forward slash welcome-to-music-membership-plan.
1: Yes and it, it the what they call the A course or the bachelor course uh, the one that I did is now 5 years not 4 years really and and there is um, in the german language there's also um, if you like a graduate diploma a 2 year course and then there's the english speaking course that you described and um, there's all there are also various uh, what, I called, uh, what i would call what i would call you know alongside professional learning that is professional learning for teachers who stay in their job and you know once every six weeks they meet somewhere for two days to study the off and schulwerk ideas uh, like that
0: okay so all right so you did this four-year course back in the
1: 1970s late 70s to uh, back in the
0: 70s and anybody we would know who were your teachers tell us any names yes
1: yeah so look this is a good question too i'm very grateful i mean of course barbara Haselbach, hermann regner who published uh, who, who has passed away in 2008 but he published the american editions of schulwerk music for children volume one two and three he was strongly involved in publishing that he was one of my teachers there was a teacher from america by the name of avon gillespie who came from San Francisco, who was actually the teacher of Doug Goodkin later That's as well. That's right, yes. So there, there were very interesting staff at that time. But to make the link to Australia for me, in 1977 and 1978, I also attended summer courses at the Orff Institute, or may it be as an assistant making tea and coffee for the teachers of the summer course. <laughs> and, and there was a teacher from Australia coming to these summer courses by the name of Richard Gill. Richard Gill! Was, yeah, he taught in Salzburg at the summer courses and I was allowed to visit his classes, to audit his classes, even though my job was to make him coffee, but I, <laughs> I, I, I attended his sessions and I was absolutely mesmerized by what he did and i was engrossed with all his ideas and his skills and his pedagogical ideas as well so you know at the end of in 1978 end was it 1978 round about that time i asked him if i ever would make it to australia could i visit you and he said if you come to australia i'll pick you up at the airport (laughs) which in the end he did because the story doesn't end there it just Briefly continues in that Dr. Regner, one of my teachers at the Orff Institute, did a teaching tour to Australia in 1978 for the German Cultural Center. He came back to the Orff Institute when I was working there as an assistant. He came into the room and he said, Christoph, you like traveling, don't you? I said, yes, I love traveling. Would you like to spend a year in Australia? And I said, yes, thank you very much. And that was it. Um, (laughs) Then I found, at the end of 1979, I found myself in Sydney, and lo and behold, Richard Gill picked me up at the airport in Sydney and took me into his family for the first few weeks, yeah.
0: How amazing. Yes. So amazing. Yeah. Goodness me.
1: I was quite lucky, I'd have to say, you know.
0: And obviously, you already spoke English. Because that would have been a bit of a prerequisite. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I spoke some high school English, but uh, thank you, Susie, for mentioning that very important point for a music pedagogue for all of us language is obviously incredibly yes. important. So after I hadn't done after I had done a summer workshop in January up in Armadale in New South Wales in January 1980, I went back to my accommodation in Melbourne and i realized if i'm to start here in february at a school and at university as it was planned i have to learn english language materials so that i can actually teach so i spent every night and every afternoon listening to in those days audio tapes with materials from richard gill and others in the english language and i learned these by heart Um, you know i mean sometimes i still remember these kind of rhymes songs riddles and ideas you know that was my job i had to learn these things luckily i love listening to music still to this day and i loved listening to these nursery rhymes and songs from various experts um, of australia um, in those days and um, it helped me when i started teaching there
0: yes my goodness and of course you know we know we know that you didn't just stay for a year so what happened (laughs) look
1: thank you for asking that too because the fact there were some significant meetings in the first three or four months i realized that people in australia are very curious and very hospitable <laughs> so you know i can tell you i learned i worked at burwood what was then called burwood yep. state college Deakin yep. university um and, you know, some of the students even they were curious about me, they said, would you like to come and stay with us at our beach house this weekend, I said yes. And somebody else would say we've got some horses out there past the Dengenongs, would you like to come along with us I said yes for sure. Um, I also incidentally in those days, through coincidence, also through students made connections with, can I say, the Jewish community, the Israeli community in Caulfield in, uh, you know, if you like, your background, your, your region. Yes. Um, originally, I'm, I met people there um, and they invited me into their life. Come and eat with us. Come and spend the Friday night with us during our celebrations. I was absolutely amazed with the kind of warmth and hospitality that was extended to me, especially by the Jewish community in the context where i come from and you know where where my background was yes. in germany you know yes. that was even more so remarkable and it was later in the year 1980 after i had already decided if i ever get a chance to stay here i will stay it is that um, it is it was there then that i met audrey klein as she was called at that time and Gary she's
0: she's now she's now called Audrey Klein again again
1: yeah (laughs) so I met Audrey and Gary we actually shared a house later Mm -hmm. in 1981 and 1982 and we formed a band shenanigans and again I was invited into the community and and the music of shenanigans and what we created together that really did it for me you know, I will never right. go away here, I mean, yes. we we hit it off very well with each other in terms of our ideas, you know, like every team of people, there are, you know, creative frictions at times as well, mm. but um, you know, it was really fantastic what we were able to create with each other. I mean, oh. in terms of our own enjoyment. I mean, I, I can't even talk about what happened then later on in terms of how that band became famous. But but simply sitting in our lounge room every day after classes and playing music together with mandolin and guitar and flute and singing and all of that. And at some point in 1983, I had a hurdy gurdy and all of that Uh, i mean the enjoyment that we created for each other was sublime
0: oh and i just remember because i started getting involved with the author movement shall we say um, early 80s and i just i remember going to workshops and camps and oh there were all sorts of things where Uh, You know, we'd just all get together and jam and and you, particularly you and Gary and and, Mm. uh, Audrey, would so often play at our conferences and and you were such an inspiration, really, to so many of us. Uh, And as you say, uh, it wasn't long after that, that uh, Shenanigans became very well known all around the world. I know you went overseas. Yeah. um, You went and... Uh, performed and, uh, facilitated workshops over at the American or con conventions, yeah. uh, and people still today are using all the wonderful recordings, all that beautiful folk music. So for any listeners that don't know about shenanigans, it's just a, a wonderful range of folk, uh, folk music, folk dance music, uh, from all around the world, beautifully recorded, uh beautiful mm. vocals um that is still used all these years later
1: indeed um uh, so personal circumstances made it in 1986 when my daughter emilia was born in april 1986 um you know i decided to to withdraw from the band you know i i felt i need a, a situation where i can um securely look after my family um, 1986 Emilia was born, 1989 my son Anthony was born and I made that decision however difficult it was but a, a lot of musicians make that decision oh, at some point in their life right. and um, and my involvement be with the ORF Schulwerk Association in Victoria and then other ORF associations became stronger.
0: Yes and would I be right in that at that time you then started teaching you you took up uh, school yeah. positions music positions at schools
1: yes so I, yeah. I i i had already always taught part-time somewhere i'd also taught part-time at melbourne university in the faculty of Edu- uh, faculty of music with off classes and then um, in about 1988 or 1989 i was asked by what was then called the mercy college in Ascot oh, yeah. Vale. Yeah. i was asked would you come and teach three days for us for our students in this teaching program which i then took on that seemed like a secure thing to do and from then on it went further and further and i found myself from then on basically in tertiary education
0: yes and of course mercy college became the australian catholic university yes yeah. um and i remember going to workshops with you christoph um yeah. Pas- pasco vale or ascot vale it could have in, in been As- ascot vale yes <laughs> and then of course the university moved to east east melbourne, melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yes and um yes yeah, so you were involved in A- acu for many many years weren't you
1: 21 years yeah Wow. until 2008 and um, it was interesting, you know, when we talk about the kind of courses that teachers can take in order to further themselves in music and movement education a la ORF, at ACU in the mid 1990s, we developed a graduate certificate course in, of music education. Later it became a graduate diploma and for some of the years that we developed it there, it was really, really a very successful course and uh, with a lot of participants. Uh, you know, we, we were able also in some form or shape to work together with the Victorian of Schulwerk Association to make that work. There was a desire by many teachers to be active as teachers in music education to involve movement to be creative, to allow children to be expressive, and many of these things we were able to offer in those graduate certificate courses. I know,
0: it was so wonderful. And Mm. my understanding, Christoph, is that there is nothing like it now anywhere in Australia. We need something like that, don't we?
1: yes um look can i say now having this unique opportunity to travel between the southern hemisphere and europe and learning about what happens in europe and we could put a footnote here later on because it's quite a challenge for me at my age to learn things in germany where i have really never been as a teacher Um, but but let me come back to what i'm trying to say about the differences Um, For example, the Orff Institute is being held up as, if you like, a limelight for music and movement education. But it has to be said, in places like Munich, Berlin, Hannover, um, Prague, um, other cities in Europe, these kind of courses now exist as well. So the Orff Institute is not the only place where you can study music and movement in depth. You can go to other cities as well yes. so i agree with you susie there is there would be ample reason to have graduate diploma or graduate certificate courses in off music and movement in melbourne in sydney if they aren't there already i know for a fact that auckland in new zealand has something like that with millilock um and there are probably others developing but i do agree with you uh, you know the the a kind of cooperation between victoria and offshore association and a tertiary institution and should be on the menu can i put it that way
0: absolutely (laughs) can you tell us what is offshore work and how did you get involved
1: thank you again susie because you're allowing us both now to go into a bit more depth about this also this peculiar term off Schruwerk, or, you know, as some people might translate it, Orff's schoolwork. Yes. So the German composer Karl Orff, together with his colleagues, developed this idea of an integrated form of learning about music already in the 1920s, you know, like 100 years ago. And then later on, uh, after the Second World War, it was reconceived by Gunild Ketman, a co-worker of Karl Orff's, as a music and movement approach for children in schools. And that's where the word, of Orff also comes from. In that, you know, music was published under the title Orff's Schoolwork or Orff Schuhwerk in five different volumes. And from there, a pedagogical journey began. So basically what it is for teachers is combining music and movement and spoken word or speech um, as an integrated approach that would allow children to learn about the elements of music in a creative, playful and active way. So the difference to any traditional formerly existing music approach would be you actually get involved hands on. Whereas maybe in the olden days, let's say 120 years ago, children would sit in a room, a teacher would play the piano, and they would sing hymns. And that was their musical education. Suddenly, the premise is you get involved, you play with instruments like xylophones or hand drums. And as you play, you find out how music is constructed. How did they make this? How come I feel this way, Uh, joyful, for example, if it's a joyful kind of pattern that I'm playing? How come I feel this way? So this approach quickly became popular, because teachers realised children can get ownership, they own the music that they yes. make, what can be more motivational? And than that
0: there? makes such a difference. Yeah. When Is when it? people or children own the music, yeah. uh, they're so much more engaged, they're so much more motivated, aren't they? yes um, to be part of that experience this podcast has been brought to you by welcome to music building confidence creativity and enriching lives through the joy of music in the show notes you'll find links to a summary of this episode and our social media platforms and in the blog you will find all the notes and the links to this episode our goal is to help make teaching and learning music easy and fun for all by using an inclusive, multimodal, multi-sensory and auth-based approach to help make the learning stick. Find us at www.welcometomusic.net Find hundreds of our songs on the streaming platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music and again, search for our names Susie Davis Splitter and Phil Splitter or the song title. And lastly, please join us in the socials on Facebook and Instagram. You'll find us if you put in Welcome to Music. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it with others and leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us, and I hope you have a fabulous rest of the week and weekend and enjoy Welcome to Music.